Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Roundtable. This is our fourth and final preseason podcast before we really start going this coming Sunday. But if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, as always, you can either tweet us at EPL Roundtable or email us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Jay. I'm editor and founder of TheEaglesBeak.com, a Palace fan site by fans for fans. We're very active on Twitter, so you can catch us there at TheEaglesBeak. I also write for StalkSport.com, which is a a sports website, you can catch them on as well at Stalk Sport Media. Hi, I'm Dan, Arsenal fan, right for EPLindex.com, and you can get me on Twitter at the underscore jersey underscore fits. Hi, this is Ralph Lifshitz from uh, Razball.com, Razball Soccer, and uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Ralph Lifshitz BB. All right, thanks so much for joining us, guys. Up first, we have Jay. Now, Jay, it's been a little bit since we've had you on, but we did have you on this preseason, uh, kind of talking about Palace's move. Since then, we've seen the additions of Patrick Bamford and Connor Wickham to really bolster that strike force that was kind of crying out for some attention. With those signings, are you more excited about Palace's season? I am. I think there's a really good feeling around Palace in that we've done a lot of good business this summer. We've done business where we've gone out and got the players in positions that were needed. I think the only attention left... Uh, to make is, uh, is is in the back line. But I think we have enough cover there. I think it's probably something that Pardew may look at, but he said to the media today that he's not actively looking for somebody, but if something comes up, then fine. So he seems to be quite happy with what we have defensively, which, which is good because we signed Breda Hangland on another one-year contract in the summer. Uh, he's a really good addition. I, I think he's an experienced player. He performed well for us as a as, as a substitute in games um, and filling in for Scott Dan when he when he was injured and also Delaney. So um, the centre back position is one that Palace fans seem to be looking at as a, a, to to fill a gap as such. And Delaney's not getting any younger and either Hangalan, but for this season for sure. And we've also got Martin Kelly who can uh, move across into that role as well. And I think he's a better player in the centre-back role as well. So we've got options there. I think perhaps we're a little bit short at full-back, but going back to the other signings, Connor Wickham's come in. He, he's, he fits into our um, formation, the way we play football with the, with the one up front. Um, unfortunately, I mean, Dwight Gower suffers from the way we play football, really, because he can't play up front on his own. He needs a man alongside him. So uh, there's a feeling that he's going to go out and sell him because he will always score goals. But, you know, until somebody mentioned to me yesterday that maybe he's in the wrong era, you know, 10, 15 years ago when teams were playing two up front, he'd have been a superstar. And I completely agree with that. I think he would have been, um, you know, if... It, you know, if, if football is different, um, but it's not. It's, it doesn't favour him now. Even if we play him wide on a on a on a kind of three up front role sort of thing, he doesn't he, he doesn't fit it fit his game at all. So that's unfortunate. But Wickham's come in. Um, it could mean Glen goes out, but I think Wickham is a younger version of Glen Murray in a way. He's a big striker, uh, and we're bound for playing either just behind him in that number ten role because watching some of the preseason games, Bamford's kind of done that. He's he's played. Um, kind of a bit behind the striker and, and, and comes back to get the ball as a, as a number 10 generally does. So he's very skillful on the ball as well. So that, that, you know, looking forward to that kind of combination there blossoming. Um, and, and the other questions are we've had Balassi come in and obviously Punchin already plays that kind of similar sort of role. But we do know uh, some of the research I've done is that Kabaya has played in a defensive midfield role as well. So what we've done in the summer and obviously the addition of Bakary Sacco uh, yesterday was was a good one because that supports both Wilf Sahar out wide and, and Blassie and Padre came out and, and said today to the media that he's been brought in to um, to push those two because they don't score enough goals. Bakary Sacco was a top scoring midfielder in the championship last season with 15 goals. Strong player, big unit, plays out wide, can play out front um, and maybe that's what both of those two need. While both Balassi and Zaha create chances, they create plenty of chances, very skillful players, they don't get their share of the goal. Balassi scored a hat-trick last season against Sunderland, but that, you know, his, his goal-scoring record is pretty poor in comparison to that. That was kind of a one-off in a way. Um, so, yeah, very happy with what we've done in the summer. We've also added Alex McCarthy, and again, Pardew's come out and said he wanted three keepers this season. Um, unfortunately, Spurrier is out for the first 
three to four weeks uh, with a with a ligament injury. Um, but I think Pardew, history-wise, he was caught out of Newcastle um, when he was there, um, not having three keepers. He had two two of his first choice keepers injured and he had to go down to the youth to, to, to play a keeper. So I think he's learnt from that. And I really feel that Sprone, this will be Sprone's last year. So that will pave the way for Hennessy and McCarthy to fight over a spot in the future. So yeah, I think um, Palace fans are very happy with what we've done this summer and we're looking forward to the season. All right. And if I had to push you for where you think you'll finish in the table? That's a tough one. It really is. I've been asked that question so many times in the past couple of weeks uh, in, in, in kind of review articles and, and the like. But I kind of change my mind every time. It kind of depends what sort of mindset I'm in. But you know, as a Palace fan, it's not in our nature to be confident because we always feel that it's something around the corner. There's a real feeling that we should stop looking behind our, you know, behind us, you know, over our shoulder at the bottom three or the relegation zone and things like that because that's that's what we've always done. But after two seasons finishing like we have. Um, there's a you know maybe we should start looking ahead of you know look look up rather than down. Um, you know we've we've signed players this summer which has shown that the club want to make that step forward and push maybe for those places above you know tenth place that we finished last year. The likes of Stoke City, Southampton, Swansea, those three in particular have done exactly what we should perhaps be looking to do. So. I'm I'm hoping, and while the 40-point mark will be a sensible for the club and Pardew, I'm sure he will be doing the same, is getting to that 40-point mark. Like a majority of clubs in the Premier League will do the same thing, get to that point, see what time of the season that is, and then push on from there. I see no reason why we can't finish the same as last season, uh, 10th or, or even pushing 9th or 8th place. Uh, with the squad we have, um, luck from injuries on our side, there's no reason why we can't do that. All right, and let me just say, uh, for me, I've been yet again impressed by what Palace have done in the window. What is that now? Four windows in a row of us doing this podcast where I've mentioned how impressed I've been with Palace. But I, I think they've built up a lot of goodwill, and, and a lot of people kind of criticize the, the fee for Connor Wickham, but I think it's worth it. Yeah, I mean, when we, when we returned to the Premier League, that that summer of transfers, we, we brought in 14 players. I think we've certainly more than made up for that that uh, terrible transfer window we had then um, of, of bringing in some real, you know, panic buys. I mean, they they were panic buys of of epic proportions. I mean, not huge amounts of money, but just to get bodies in. And we, you know, we it, it'd be interesting to see how other teams do being promoted from the playoff final because that really cuts the amount of time you have to get a team together for for a new division and a higher division. It's tough. So, Dan, we did have an Arsenal fan on last week. Not much has really changed, but what's been your take on, on Arsenal's offseason and how do you think you'll do this coming season? Uh, I've been pretty happy with the offseason so far. Not a lot of transfer movement, but we did bring in Petr Cech, and that's a big deal. That's a really big deal because he's a huge upgrade on David Espina and Wojciech Szczesny. Uh, as far as outgoings, Los Podolski, not really a big loss. Basically just compensates for Cech's wages. Um, and as it's been a quiet off season, which has been a nice change after the last ten. Those are, and um, as far as where I think we'll do, how I think we'll do, I think I think we're in for a good season. I'm never, I never allow myself to really be get that optimistic because you know Arsenal, but um, I'm feeling pretty good going into the season. We got a pretty not an easy start, but we don't have a difficult start like we did last season where we had um. All those difficult games, City and Spurs, and what was the other one? Chelsea, all have been like a month with each other. So, yeah, going in cautiously optimistic, cautiously being the key word there. But I like what we've done this summer, and I'm hoping it pays off. Any transfer rumors that you think there might be some legs behind for Arsenal as we kind of get into the season? Um, there's been plenty of rumors because, you know, Twitter. But um, as far as ones that actually have legs, I don't see too many. There's, you know, the classic Benzema one, but we'll get into that later. There was a Sergi Samper transfer a, a rumor a couple weeks ago mm. where um, Barcelona product, actually best friends with Hector Bellerin, he and um, Bellerin came out of the same La Mesia group together. They're really good friends, as well as uh, John Terrell, who is another one of our youth players, just went on loan to Birmingham and scored a five-minute trick a couple days ago. But um. Yeah, he was linked. He would be essentially an Arteta replacement, but there hasn't really been anything of that in the last week or two. And Kiki Moran, the uh, seemingly most reliable Arsenal transfer guy out of uh, outside of uh, Ornstein, has caught him and shot it down. So uh, outside of that, there really hasn't been much going on outside of you know 
that French guy from Real Madrid. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Ralph, it's an absolute pleasure having you on for the first time. Uh, can you tell us what's been happening at Manchester United this offseason? What hasn't been happening at Manchester United this offseason, right? Um, it seems like, well, you know, the last two years um, under Van Gaal, they've obviously been very busy, which was obviously a, a sort of a drastic change from from the single Moy season and uh, the last few years of uh, Sir Alex's tenure. But um, sort of up and down in, term, in terms of the transfer market. I mean, um, you know, we obviously know about the, the central midfield uh, reinforcements with, you know, Schweinsteiger and, um, you know, Schneiderlin bring in um, Dupay in the wing. I think that's going to be a big one. Um, I'm a big fan of the Matteo uh, Darmian uh, move. I, th- I think that is going to you know, sort of reinforce sort of what they needed from an attacking perspective, especially after playing, you know, Antonio Valencia out of position uh, all year on, on the outside. Um, it seems like it's just a nonstop, um, you know, rumor mill when with United the last few years. Um, it seems like every time they miss on somebody, they're offering Gareth Bale 100 million pounds to, to come to United and it doesn't come to fruition. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a little upset they didn't bring in a striker. I was, I was hoping for a bigger name, somebody with a little cachet, um, you know, in particular, uh, one gentleman from PSG I thought would be a good fit, but obviously he has his uh, pre-existing... Um, <laughs> issues with with van gaul but uh you know all in all we'll see what happens i think they're a top four club i don't think they're going to compete for a championship though gotcha and we're going to address more fantasy stuff later but obviously you're playing tottenham coming up do you have any idea which midfielders are likely to get the start this weekend um i am assuming uh schneider is going to be back there um you know I'm, I'm thinking it's going to be Carrick. Uh, I, you know, I guess if you know, consider Dupay a midfielder, I think we see Dupay. Um, and then I'm always sort of shaky with who they're going to play in addition to the wing, whether it's going to be Andrew Herrera, how much he'll feature this year, especially early on, um, or, you know, Juan Mata as well, who, who finished very strong last year. But it's just a matter of who, who fits in. Is the Pedro move going to happen? Um, but, but I think one guarantee is definitely Schneider and, and certainly Dupay. I put my money on Carrick and, and probably Mata. Yeah, for Tottenham, uh, really not that much is happening. Just a whole lot of us pretending like things are happening. Um, a whole, whole lot of rumors. Adebayor was said to be a done deal on Monday. That looks like it may be crumbling as we speak. Uh, rumors that either he or his family don't want to, to leave London um, to, to go to the Midlands. You know, can't really speak much to that, but we've told him in in very clear terms he has no role at the club. As Pochettino came out this week again and reiterating that um, neither Adebayor or Lennon are in his plans going forward. So that will be interesting to see if we can kind of offload both of them. Aston Villa allegedly coming in for Lennon now that the Adebayor deal has died uh, in, in theory. So we'll have to wait and kind of see what happens. With those outgoings, the Soldado deal uh, we're hearing is fully dependent on bringing in another striker. Um, Berahino looks maybe like it could be a goer. Apparently, the issue is matching the valuation because Daniel Levy. But um, I think that would be a great addition. And then we might finally start seeing these pieces kind of move. Uh, Going to talk about Clinton and G in a little bit uh, over from France. Very talented young player, but maybe not the thing that would really propel us into that top for Chase, which I'm hesitant to even say we're part of until we bring in a legitimate central midfielder and some depth at striker because uh, we're, we're just a cane injury away from kind of tumbling down the table. So it'll be interesting to see if we kind of fill those holes. If not, I think we could be in for a long season, but uh, Pochettino kind of set himself up for uh, a little bit more um, kind of rope before he gets in trouble, uh, saying that, you know, we finished fifth last year. Uh, but top four isn't the only goal. We're setting up for the future, uh, which I think we all knew, but I think it's kind of reassuring to hear because I, along with many Spurs fans, don't really think, like I said, that fourth is really something that we'll be able to reach this year. Uh, looks like we're really going to try to blood in Della Ali, maybe switch Eric Dyer to, to more of a defensive midfield role, see LaMela Erickson and Chadley all kind of developing, as long as Erickson hopefully kind of getting Toby and Jan Vertonghen to start pairing together, and, and all of those things are going to take time. So I don't think this is the year, 
Um, but I think we're really building towards the future, as Pochettino says. And, and that's an exciting thing. I think we're going to have a lot of great moments this season. And I think it's possible for Spurs to have a great season without thinking top four is a viable option. And I think that's what we're about to be ready for. Would still love a cup run, as I've said every year. Uh, obviously made it to a cup final last year and lost. Would love to get to a cup final and win this year. Uh, unlike all other fans, I don't know why I specifically felt that I had to mention that I'd be happy if we got a trophy. Um, but I think we could really make some noise in the Europa League, uh, and hopefully we'll be able to, to kind of temper that storm despite having a thinner squad than we have had in years past. All right, now for the topic, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to have a pre-recorded segment with France expert and recent Aston Villa FC official writer, Andrew Gibney. Um, and then we'll kind of have the reaction from the rest of the guests that we'll be recording with a little bit later on today. But, Andrew, first of all, it's a pleasure having you back on. We love covering the Women's World Cup with you this summer. Yeah, it was great. It was really good fun. really enjoyed it. And looking forward to four years' time, we can do it all again. <laughs> yeah, definitely looking forward to that as well. Now, we've had a few questions sent in to us, uh, either from guests or from other sources. And we're going to kind of run through all of them and check, kind of just get your take. I'm a selfish guy. I'm going to go off first with all of my Tottenham questions. Uh, the yep. first is the pressing potential deal of Clinton and G. Uh, do you think that that's likely at all? And what would he bring to, to Tottenham? Yeah, at first I was very sceptical of this move, as you know. But it seems uh, now, as, as the money keeps going up, Leon are being uh, intrigued by... The, they want to fund a couple of moves. They've been linked with the likes of uh, Ronnie Lopez at Man City, uh, Jonas Belonda at Kiev, even Matthew Valbuena coming on loan from Dynamo Moscow. So they can possibly can that bring in some more money to fund these deals. So uh, in France this it was 15 million euros reported, including bonuses, and they're getting tempted. Uh, this one has a bit of legs, I think, when Alexander, Alexander Lacazette signs a new deal having that stability, they know he's staying, they've got Claudio Bovu from Gangon and also Nabil Fakir, they can then look at possibly letting NG go. What you're going to get is a very raw, explosive, sometimes he does things that you just don't see, a little turn, a little move, a pass, and you think, fantastic. And then you'll run into dead ends, you will pick the wrong pass. Very, very raw. It reminds me a little bit of Aaron Lennon that probably gets alarm bells ringing off that he could be great, but mm. sometimes his decision-making, his final ball just lets him down. Obviously, he's got a few years on Lennon to, to make it better, but for that kind of money, I know, I know English teams have thrown money over the place these days, but still, to me, a lot of money to spend on a kid who's really only had maybe half a good season in France. Yeah, it's, it's definitely something I'm a little worried about. The other name we're kind of being linked with, Timo Werner. Uh, both of them obviously very kind of raw and developing, which for, for you know, 12 million, 15 million, you're talking about supposed to be bringing in a player that steps into your starting 11, which I'm not sure this is the case, uh, as I'm not sure he would immediately kind of oust either Eric Lamela mm. or Nasser Chadley. But we do desperately need pace, and it sounds like he offers lots of that. Oh, he's, he's loads of pace. He is faster than Lacazette. He, he's, he's quite strong. I mean, he got seven goals and seven assists last season and only 15 starts, and also 15 appearances off the bench. There's definitely potential there. Just mm -hmm. He's only 21. He's been to sort of one African Cup of Nations. Uh, I always err on the side of caution. You want these guys to stay to 22, 23, and then move on, but uh, my wishes have been more and more uh, subdued with the, the money that English teams can throw at these guys, and you can't blame them for, for leaving. Yeah, and, and the wages, I'd assume, are more significant as well. Yeah, I'd, I'd imagine probably triple on his wage. I mean, that's what, Ooh. even going to Aston Villa, uh, Adrisa Gay and Jordan Mavi, that have been getting triple what they're paid in France. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's not even... Hard to say no to that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if someone offers me triple to go anywhere, I'm, I'm away. I want my bags <laughs> packed upstairs, ready to go. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's very hard to say no to that because you don't know what the future's in store. I mean, it, it could turn out to be amazing. And that's why teams like Spurs are buying them now. Buy them at 21, you could possibly sell them for 20, 25 million in a couple of years. And that's, I think that's the game, that's the business we're in now. Yeah. Uh, a couple other players that we lured over with the, the promise of higher wages and a bigger platform. Uh, Benjamin Stambouli and Etienne Capou, both of whom no longer at the club. Uh, we bought Capou and, and at the time had been a French international. 
uh, came to us, never saw the France side again. Then we were like, oh, Stan Bully made an appearance. Let's sign him. <laughs> then he hasn't made an appearance again. Stan Bully now at PSG, Capoue now at Watford. Uh, do, do you know maybe what went wrong with them? And is there actually an issue with just the defensive midfield position in the Premier League for these French players, especially with the likes of Jan and Villa coming over as well? I, possibly not the Premier League in general. I do describe Tottenham as where midfielders go to die. Uh, <laughs> it's true. Harry, Harry Redknapp had a bit of a thing for deciding any midfielder going. And when when you've got Etienne Capu, who I, I loved watching the, at Toulouse, he, his past completion of these people that sort of dying on stats wasn't great, but because he tried to find final balls and he's sort of trying to pick that that fantastic pass and it doesn't always work but if it works one out of three times to me that's enough because you've got a goal uh, and you just you need to give these guys games you need to give them time to settle you look at Stone Bully at Montpellier Stone Bully was a legend so I grew up at the club won the title gave us all we'd play wherever you wanted him to play and then he goes to Spurs and oh you get some Europa League games in Israel or whatnot, and you need to play these guys 10, 15 times in the league for them to really settle. It's one thing training, it's another thing getting up to game speed. And these players, like the, the ones that have joined Villa, Jan and Villa, who just really needs to play football, you need to give them a, a really good chance to, to sink or swim. If you're going to play them for five games under a couple hundred minutes and then say that they're, they're failures, you're not giving them a, a, a decent crack of the whip, to, in, in my eyes. You can label them... Failures all you want, and I, and I think if Stone Bully plays at PSG this season as more than he did at Spurs, you'll see how good the player he can be because he has all the attributes you want from, especially in a league at the Premier League that you want from a defensive midfielder. Mm. Yeah, I got to actually see him in New York in his first PSG match. I happened to be to be out there at the time, and uh, he looked very good in the, in the few minutes he got at the end. <laughs> dribbled through a few people, had a nice little turn that he had, and. I was, you know, immediately the day after he had signed away. It's one of those, uh, did we let something go there that we probably should yeah, have kept? Definitely. Um, I definitely think that this, it's this, this world of, if you don't come in and, and sort of do it straight away in England, you're sort of ousted to the side and we've got that much money, we'll just spend another £10 million on someone and just keep doing it until someone sticks and you get success. And that's a really dangerous way to sort of build, try and build a team. And, yeah. But that's, that's the way it's going. Well, yeah, we're, we're just kind of trying to bridge this gap to the youth guys, like Della Ali <laughs> and Onaman, those guys. And so we're, we just keep trying to, like, plug things. And if you don't work in a year, then kind of what good you're are gone. you? It's, it's yeah. a very short-sighted but yet also long-term plan. <laughs> All right, uh, next up we had a, a question from Jay, our Palace representative, who, I, again, as I mentioned, will be on in a little bit to give his reaction. Uh, and he wants to know about Johan Kabay. Obviously, we've already seen him in the Premier League. Uh, made a move to to Palace that pretty much ruined Newcastle for a year and a half. They never really recovered from that. Um, Palace got him for pretty cheap. What happened with his career once he got to France, and are we getting back the same player that left? Definitely not getting back the same player. Uh, Confidence-wise, he is very short on... uh, Newcastle, he he became their number 10, so he was the man that everything went through. And the PSG... he was always going to find it hard. At the time, I said, this is a move that's great for PSG. It's not a move that's good for Johan Kabay because they had Blaise Matuidi, Thiago Mota and Marco Verratti who were playing probably one of the best trios in European football at the time uh, in the Champions League, whatever, definitely in France. And Kabay was to try and take one of them out and, and become a starter. And it just wasn't going to happen, especially halfway through a season. And then when he got chances to play, he didn't, he didn't look like the same Johan Kabay, especially the one that I saw at Lille when we won the league, the one that you saw at Newcastle. He was just very passive and very... Sometimes you forgot he was even on the pitch. I mean, you're like, oh, Kabay's playing, that's right. Or last mm. season he got he got sent off really early on the season against Evian when he got a chance. And it's just, I think, confidence hugely. Then just uh, yeah, doubting his own ability, doubting his, his uh, big game mentality to take games with a scruff of the neck. I think part of the reason he's moved to Palace is Alan Pardew because obviously he's the man that got the best out of it at Newcastle and it's sort of going back to what you know. And I hope, hope for Palace fans and hope for Johan Kabay that he can become that player again because fans need that player because uh, Didier Deschamps has built their whole philosophy on having a, a deep-lying playmaker. And <laughs> if he's not playing well, it sort of changes how fans play. Uh, I've, I've picked my, my sort of all-league gun 
Premier League fantasy team and I've left Kabai off because at this point I'm not touching him, which I think says says it all really. Yeah, that, that, yeah, <laughs> that's not uh, <laughs> great news for Crystal Palace so, fans. Sorry, like so, so, Jay. <laughs> yeah, we'll get his reaction later. Obviously, Jay was on the Women's World Cup with us this summer, so hearing such harsh words from such a close friend, I'm sure will be troubling <laughs> to him. Um, all right, now we're going to move on to Manchester United. Um, was going to get on to, to Schneiderlin and maybe some striking options, and we may well still, but obviously the pressing thing that happened today uh, Angel Di Maria moving away from United to PSG. I know they were interested in him last year. Seems like they got their man. Do you think this means any of kind of Lovetsi or Lucas or might might be moving on to other bigger and better things? How do you think all of that will kind of break down this year? Yeah, it seems that Blanc's going back to the the four three three that he started with last season. He moved on to four three one two with Javi Pastore playing in that sort of number ten role, but. De Maria, is, you're going to see it going back to front three. Cavani's going to move wide. Whether that's going to make him very happy, I, I don't think so. It's a big job for Blanc to, to keep everyone happy and get that all to work. Lovetsi's probably the first one on the chopping block. He, he was already, and yeah, Lovetsi's going to have his place. He didn't play a lot last season. He's going to play even less now. Whether he's going to join a big team or not, you can see him going back to Serie A. Lucas is the one. Lucas is the one in danger because injury last season at the worst time just before the the Chelsea Champions League games mm. and he was playing really well and he, he looked like the player that just everyone hopes he's going to be and that stopped his season he never really got back up to speed and now this De Maria coming in you're getting your sort of stifling Lucas but Laurent Blanc has to change the team around more by the end of last season, PSG were kind of running on empty a little bit because he just kept playing the same team over and over and over again. He's now got options to change it up. If he does that and Lucas plays 20, 25 games, you've got obviously Champions League, two cups, all of that. There's the, the game time there. But you wonder if, if Lucas doesn't get that time. You're sort of taking away his chance to play for Brazil. You're taking away his chances to be a really top player. And he might, he'll start looking away these these players, there's only really one place they can go. Once they've been at PSG, I suppose they've got the big two in Spain and you've got the Premier League. They're the only two places you can actually afford to pay these guys. And I think Levetsi will go first, whether it's this summer or in January, but I think Lucas is one. If I, if I was a, a Premier League team looking for someone in the next 12 months, I'd have my eye on him. And you could maybe get him away from, from Paris if if you strike when the, the, the time is right. Uh, not to put you on the spot, but if you had to put a price on him, <laughs> oh, you're talking this. I think the same level as De Maria because because of what PSG paid for him to begin mm. with, they're not going to take a loss on him because they will say, well, he's got better than what he was in Brazil, and you can't really dispute that. So when you start the bar that high to begin with, it's yeah, not many teams to... are kind of in the running. Yeah, and, and that's probably what keep. It's the same situation that uh, Luca Dean finds himself in. This now the left back. Yeah. You sign. You sign for PSG for fifteen million euros. You don't play because, not his own fault because Maxwell has been so good, uh, and no one can expect that. But someone then has to pay at least fifteen million euros to to get him away. And you're like, well, he's not played, so you're <laughs> taking a massive risk. These players see the bright lights of Paris and. People at Luca Dean who are from that area, they're never going to say no, but you're leaving your options for the future really, really short, and then you need someone to take a chance on you to, to get you out of that. Uh, as you mentioned with Kabai, bringing him into PSG was a great move for them, maybe not for the player. To me, that kind of is what the Schneiderlin deal represents with how many midfielders they have. They're battling for the same amount of spots. Obviously great to have a player of that quality in your team, but might not get the playing time to really continue his incredible development that happened at Southampton. Do you think he'll do a job at, at Manchester United, and do you think it was a good move for him? The move makes sense. I mean, as a step up from Southampton, the, ce- the ceiling was there with them is sort of where it is, and he's, he's not going to go any further with them. And I suppose as a player, you're... Players don't think about who else a team's got, am I going to play? They think they always think they're good enough to start for that team. Uh, mm. But when you've got Michael Carrick and Bastian Schweinsteiger, and I suppose the thought is that Schweinsteiger's not going to last forever. Yeah. Uh, but you have you Herrera have to, as well and Fellaini. Yeah, and, and, there's a lot in there. It's just 
I think Snyderling is good enough because of the, the job he does. He does it very well. Uh, and he's already sort of Premier League tested and, and sort of ready to go and doesn't have to settle in that sense. And maybe, you mean, Schweinsteiger might not settle in and, and there's a chance there for, for Snyderling to really push on. And is it, he, he is going to become a better player whether he makes Manchester United better. That's probably the bigger question. And that one I'm not so sure, but he is a fantastic talent and it's going to help his chances with France as well. And I suppose that's what he's got his eye on is moving up that pecking order. And if you play for Southampton and you play for Manchester United, you're getting picked playing for Man U more than you are for Sunderland. All right, and on to Arsenal, even though it was debunked already by Arsene Wenger. <laughs> odds of Benzema moving there? Uh, none, or less than zero, if we can do that. <laughs> negative numbers. <laughs> negative, negative. It's, <laughs> it's so much of it is Arsene Wenger's not going to spend that kind of money. And it's, it's, if Real Madrid sell him, who are they going to bring in? There's kind of a, a, a death right now of really world-class centre-forwards at the moment. And I just can't see... This a chain of events that would have to happen. I just can't see starting, and I can't see Rafa Benitez wanting to. I mean, unless the player came and said, "I want to go," and then Arsene Wenger got his che- dusted off his checkbook and and signed. And uh, when you've got Giroud there, and you look at how France have played, and they they can't find a way to get Giroud and Benzema playing together. Yeah, is Wenger going to take that chance? I don't. I don't think so. I don't, I don't see that one happening at all. And Wenger's backed me up on that as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how very kind of him. So there you have it. Benzema officially not going to Arsenal. You heard it here sometime. All right, now the other question we have for Arsenal is about the fates of Coquelin and Debussy. Obviously, Debussy was very good while he was at Newcastle, moved to Arsenal, uh, got injured, lost his place to Bellerin. What do you think his standing is with the France national team? And is Coquelin close to getting his, his uh, first call-up? With with Debussy, he's very lucky that France seems to have a bit of a gap of uh, right backs. You've got I mean, the fact that Christophe Jali won his place back after he was a bit of a laughing stock at PSG, but played very well for Leon. He's got back into the national setup, and he's around about thirty years old without looking it up. And you've got Bakary Sanya and then Matthew Debussy. So you, if he plays well for four or five games, he, he's back in that national team. There's absolutely no doubt in that whatsoever. Uh, with with Coquelin, it's a difficult one. It's same, the same sort of situation that Schneiderling found himself in, because because whenever someone mentions Coquelin, I remember watching him for Lorion when he was on loan, and he was dreadful. He was just not a very good player. He's also come on leaps and bounds, but the French remember that, and that that sort of hinders his chances of you've got to deplace the likes of uh, Maxime Gonalons, Leon's captain. You've got. Joshua Gilavogli, who's playing very well for Wolfsburg. Obviously, you've got Johan Kabay, who uh, Didier Deschamps loves. And I could mention three or four other players that are sort of all ahead of him. Playing for Arsenal is going to help him, because you've got also Arsenal Wenger's got ties with with everyone in France, and it's going to help his cause. But I still think there's, there's too many players ahead of him that are going to stop him getting into sort of any sort of 23-man squad. It would take quite a few injuries for it to happen. doesn't mean he's not good enough, just... Deschamps is very loyal to the players that have done him well or the ones that have played in France. And that's it, it takes a while for someone to get a look in outside of that collective. And with like six names in there, yeah, it's not going to happen anytime soon, I don't think. All right. Well, thank you so much for that. And then uh, just kind of on our way out, any of the players that have been incoming that you think we should really keep our eyes on? Uh, some of the ones under the radar, uh, N'Golo Kante, uh, the Leicester City, who was an absolute joy to watch last season for Con. They came up from League 2, so he was very much unknown uh, to League 1 fans, and he was superb. So great energy, bursting forward, led the league in, in tackles at one point, sort of reads the game well. He's sort of ready-made for the Premier League, I think. It's just that sort of all-energy bundle of just everything, and just will we'll put is all into playing for Leicester City. Uh, Jordan Amavi at Aston Villa, the left-back, who is a potential French international. Definitely. I mean, he, he'd been, he played four games for Nice before last season. They sold uh, Timothy Kodjak to Sevilla. And he just came in and he sort of, you forgot that Kodjak was gone. It was Jordan Amavi's position and he looked so mature and sort of took to it like a, a duck to water. So if he can do the same in the Premier League, then he 
really is one that's going to go far, I think. Those two would be... I mean, Villa have done well with uh, Adrisa Ganagay and Vera too. Jordan Ayew will score goals. Whether he is worth 17 million euros, I'm not 100% convinced on that one. The Lorient have definitely got the better of a deal with the money in that one. But I mean, those four at Villa are going to be good to watch uh, and can take Leicester. All right. Well, thanks so much for coming on and doing this. If you have any stuff you want to plug, uh, go ahead. Yeah, make sure to go to FrenchFootballWeekly.com for all, all our stuff this season. We're going to be doing previews and sort of profile features and uh, hopefully do another, another with 50 by April when we sort of look at the top 50 young players in France and then all the English teams can buy them so you can get all your profiles there early before, before they move. Uh, yeah, and get me on Twitter at GiveMe underscore A. Awesome, thanks again. Looking forward to speaking to you soon. Thanks, Kevin. All right, so that is the interview we previously recorded with Andrew Gibney. Now we're going to get some reaction shots from the fans of the clubs that we mentioned in that interview. Jay, obviously, Andrew, not as high on Kabai as some are. What's your reaction to that? Yeah, Andrew made some good points, actually. I mean, from watching PSG last season, he looks a different player to what he was when he was at Newcastle. But I've got a real feeling that, you know, Kabai was in a... You know, the the players he was playing with at PSG are nothing compared to what he was used to at Newcastle. And I've got a feeling that, you know, coming to Palace, a big fish in a smaller in comparison to PSG might help him. And obviously he's come to us. He wants to get into the French squad for next summer, which is the European Championships in France, in his home country. He, he wants to, you know, there's no reason why he can't come to us and prove that he's worth getting back into the French squad. And, you know, he's, he's come to us for something to prove, basically. Um, and I'm more than happy to to have a player who wants to do that play for a club. And he's, you know, I think there, I think I read an article about his attraction to Palace because, yeah, because of the atmosphere at the club and the fans. He remembered that uh, from, from when he played uh, at Palace a couple of times when he was at Newcastle. So, you know, that's gone down really well with the fans. He's got a clean slate at Palace. You know, he, he did very well at Newcastle, perhaps left at a time where, um, left him in the lurch a little bit, but Newcastle obviously cashed in, but they were terrible after he left. Uh, but that kind of showed to me that what he can do for a team. You know, if he can make that much difference to a team, um, that they, they don't, well, they hardly won a game after he left, did they? Until they got, you know, uh, until very late on that season. So, you know, for me, while he's had a bit of a rough deal at PSG, um, you know, a lot of top quality players there, top quality international players who suffered, um, you know, because of that, he comes to us with a, you know, with, with a fresh start, a clean slate. And, and, you know, if he wants to try and get back into the French squad, he's going to be trying his all to do that and he'll be in a red and blue shirt for doing that. So I'm happy with that. Yeah, uh, earlier this week I, I messaged you about what you think will kind of happen with the lineup going forward. You obviously have some very good midfielders in, in the central midfield with uh, Yednak and MacArthur, and, and now you're adding Kabai to that mix. Assuming only two of them get to stick, who do you think the odd man out is? Oh, it's, re- it's really tough to pick a starting lineup. I did similar a couple of nights ago to try and work out, but then we thought we'd have a few players out injured. It now seems that Kabai is going to play. It's yeah. Going to be fit- to play at least none um, of us put out a palace preview uh since then before, <laughs> before that exactly exactly i recorded a video a couple of days ago which we talked about a lineup and we thought right this is going to make our lives easier because there's yeah. a couple of players injured um now it's not so easy because there's um it only looks like it's going to be shamak that's going to miss out so well, on that basis to be fit as well this uh, yeah apparently Wow. <laughs> so uh, uh, Pardew came out today and said that he's, he's been very strong in training this week. He's hardly had any preseason time. I think he played uh, in Berlin, in our loss in Berlin, and that's where he aggravated a, a hamstring injury. But to be fair, Balas has been training all summer. We've seen videos of him on Twitter with his uh, personal physio, and he's been training all summer. So uh, may, maybe it's kind of a you know a downside of him doing that that he's you know pulled his hamstring, but. Um, you know they're, they're temperamental things, so maybe it may, I'm, I'm not expecting them to start on Saturday because of that injury. Kabai got a knock against Fulham in a friendly last week, but yeah, I if it sounds very much to me, Kabai is going to start, so it's very difficult to pick a midfield uh, on that piece. But I think our backline picks itself. Um, Sproni's out injured, as I mentioned, for three or four weeks, so I think Hennessy will get the nod um, over MacArthur simply because Hennessy has been at Palace. Uh, a little girl, McCarthy's probably a, you know, a bit cold in that respect, but McCarthy's a great keeper. Um, in midfield, 
up front, I, I've got a feeling that Wickham's going to start from the bench because he joined us this week. He had a, a run out against Dagenham on Monday night. Um, had about 50, 55, 60 minutes uh, with the team, but obviously a, a lot of that team was youth players anyway. Um, so I, I, I've got a fear he's going to he's going to start from the bench. So I'm going to say we're going to start in Murray up front if he's still with us. I, I think there's a talk of him going to Bournemouth, so he's still with us or not. Uh, but I think Parge is going to a, a kind of similar feel to the side that ended last season in that go with what you know and then integrate the new players as we go. But I think I think Kabai is going to start. Um, Balassi is probably not going to start, so I think Kabai, Punchin, and Zahara be be across the middle, and then you're going to have. Um, um, Jednak and MacArthur supporting there. And I think I said uh, Murray up front for just behind. So I think that's probably uh, the full allocation there. <laughs> yeah, Dan, Andrew, not so confident that Benzema is coming to Arsenal. Uh, sounds like he thinks Debussy uh, might be able to get back into the France squad if he gets some starts. Uh, do you think that's likely that he might be able to kind of push Bellerin for that job after what happened last season? And what do you make of... Uh, Coquelin's chances of getting into the French national team. All right, yeah, to be fair, I don't think Benzema's happening either because I don't know why Madrid would sell him to us. They're not going to, I doubt they're going to get Aguero. And really, there's, like uh, Andrew said, there's no world class number nines that are available right now, which is why everyone's so focused on Benzema. So it's not going to happen. If it does, I'll be really happy, but it's probably not going to. Uh, as far as Debushi, he could overtake Bellerin. It would just take Bellerin to go into some kind of, you know, second season syndrome, hit a wall because he's only 20 years old. It happens to young players all the time. And he'll get, the Wushu will get playing time because we're in four competitions. There'll be games where he'll get, and we need to give Bellerin a rest or because Bellerin drops form. He's always got the chance to get into the team. What is a drawback for him is the way Wenger's been working with his uh, fullbacks the last. I mean, I'm sure he's meant to do it for a while, but the last six months or so specifically, it's been one fullback is really bombing forward, which is Bellerin, and the other one is more reserved, which has been Nacho Monreal, which Debushi can do a bombing forward job, but he's more of a sitter because he just doesn't have the pace to go up and down as much as Bellerin does. And the other problem for him is be the fact that Nacho Monreal is so much better than Kieran Gibbs right now. So you can't drop Nacho because he's just so much better. And then if you put both Tabushi and Monreal in, you'd have two fullbacks that are more sitting, which isn't exactly what Wenger wants in his team. But still, every chance Tabushi could come back into the team and win his spot back for France. Uh, as far as Coughlin, I'd be surprised against the French team because, again, like Andrew said, I'm agreeing with him on a lot of things. But like he said, it's not that he's not, it's not that he's a bad player, but they have so many good defensive midfielders. Like, that kind of midfield spot is loaded for France. They're absolutely loaded, which is why they're my pick for Euros. But um, yeah, so Coughlin, good player, could improve, which, you know, if he improves enough, he can get in the French team. But I don't see it happening in the near future. So, yeah. All right, and Ralph, we talked there a little bit about Schneiderlin's uh, move to United and whether or not it's a better move for the club yep. or the player. Which of those do you think is the case? Um, I think it's a better move for the club. Uh, I think some a little remains to be seen with Schneiderlin uh, moving, you know, to a big club. Obviously, Southampton has developed a great program. They got you know good aspirations, but they're not a top four. They're not a Champions League club. So he's going to be playing Champions League football this year. Um, I, I think I think the fit isn't bad. You know, I, I think that he's a younger player. He's a good distributor. He's going to step in. You know, as Carrick obviously is is getting up there in age, um, but it gives United depth, you know, in addition to the Schweinsteiger move, they have depth in central midfield, which they did not last year. They had to play guys deeper than they really should have. They were playing Phil Jones there. They were playing, um, you know, Ender Herrera head starts pretty, pretty deep. Um, you know, Fellini, other guys, it's not necessarily their best skill set. They have a lot of depth there now. I like it from a United perspective. I don't think it's going to be a bad move for Schneiderlin. But I, I think some remains to be seen. You know, he really was, in my opinion, watching Southampton the last few years. Um, he was the best player on, on Southampton. He was sort of, um, you know, he was the, the engine behind that team. A lot ran through him. Um, and they played their best when when he was healthy and, and, and pairing up with, with uh, Winyama early in the season. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see. You know, um, I think he has to play a lot because you can't play Carrick 
with Schweinsteiger. Um, <laughs> there just there's going to be no pace there, and and that could that could get uh, ugly pretty quick. And now on to player watch, which this week is going to be a little bit more fantasy oriented. Uh, we'll start off with Jay. Which Palace player would you most recommend for people to have in their fantasy teams? Oh, that's that's the tough one, isn't it? Um, I'm just trying to think who our top scoring player was last season. It might have, I think it was Blassi just. Um, I, I've got a feeling Zaha's going to have a big season for us. I saw him play for Fulham last week, uh, say against Fulham last week even. He came on in the second half and uh, he he was on fire. Literally, he uh, it's a friendly, so it's difficult to, to know what to take from these games. But he really he gave um, the Everton youngster actually the full but has gone to Fulham. He gave it time in that second half. He really did um, tied him up in a few knots, actually. Um, so I'm gonna—I'm not gonna plump for the obvious players. I'm gonna go for um, a, a sleeper option. I'm gonna say Wilf's gonna have a good season this year. So I think he can get a few fantasy points for some players if uh, you pick him at the right times of season, which which is always difficult. Uh, yeah, for this week, I'd say best or for this week specifically best player to get for Arsenal fantasy is Olivier Giroud because his record against West Ham is insane I want to say it's um I think it's two more goals than games he's played I have numbers somewhere but I don't remember and you know he always scores against West Ham he scored last year in uh, at home he didn't play away year before that he scored got an assist away and he scored at home year before that he scored home and away he always beats West Ham. As for the entire season, you know, Alexis Ozil, if you're looking for a defender, Bayerin, he was the he had the most dribbles. I mean, you don't get dribbles for you get points for dribbles in fantasy, but he had the most dribbles, which means he's very attacking. He scored two very good goals last season, so he can get points there. And Arsenal's defense in the second half of the season was very good. Add check to that, it'll be even better. Hopefully we don't our entire defense doesn't die, so we won't have that six month stretch where we're conceding goals like it's our job. So yeah. If you're looking for a defender, go for Bayerine. But that's for this week and the season. If you're looking for someone just for this week, go for Giroux. Yeah, Jeff, I've been telling people all offseason that I think Wayne Rooney is set to really break back into that fantasy elite level for strikers and as a bargain for me at that kind of ten point five price point. Is that the case mm. for you? Or do you think a different Manchester United player is the best home? Uh, yeah, you know, it's funny that you say that. It segues perfectly into what I was going to say. It's got to be Wayne Rooney right now. Um, I do think that that potentially changes if uh, and when, probably more when the, the Pedro move happens. I think that moves some things around. He's certainly going to have, um, you know, a, a, a far more prominent role in terms of the attack. I know in some of the last couple of years, he's, you know, been even played in central midfield under Moyes, which is a terrible decision. But, you know, I think we could be potentially looking at a 2010, uh, a 2009, you know, 2010 type season from Rooney, 20, you know, 11, 2012, where he had, you know, 26, 27 goals. Um, hopefully they, they don't lose the league on the last day like they did in both of those seasons. But I think from a fantasy perspective, you know, he certainly has a lot of value, um, it, you know. I'm very intrigued by Dupay at eight and a half uh, million pounds. I, you know, I, I think if this is if this is the player that we've been told he is at eight and a half, that could be a bargain, um, especially with the lack of great attacking options. I think there's a couple of other guys that are sort of off the radar for a lot of people. One being Mata. If 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 either Dupay or Rooney are hurt, Mata's going to have a lot more opportunities. He's shown um, that when he's sort of uh, the focus of the attack. He could be a great fantasy player. He was with Chelsea. He was down the stretch last year. Um, and I thought, I think the other sleeper is, is uh, uh, Darmian. You know, I really think that at five and a half, you know, he had three goals, three assists last year in Serie A. If that sort of translates and he gives that sort of attacking presence, um, you know, on the outside, that could be big, but it's, it's probably Wayne Rooney. It's gotta be Wayne Rooney. Um you know, you could maybe say David De Gea, but I doubt he's with United. <laughs> yeah, he better be, because otherwise you're going to come sniffing at Larice, and I don't want any part of that. Yeah, um, yeah I think Larice's injury probably helped that. Yeah, that would be tremendous. Um, yeah, it's one of those things where I really hope he's back for, for Saturday to make us look a lot better than we are. Uh, but missing might actually be better for us in the long term if he ends up really staying. Um for Tottenham, uh, maybe not the best buy, uh, but the best bargain that you'll find 
is Nabil Bentaleb at 4.5. Uh, developing player, uh, you know, a little bias here, but I genuinely think a superstar in the making. Yes, he plays a little bit deeper back, but I think we're really going to see him getting forward more and more this year. Uh, and so, you know, 4.5 for a player in, you know, a top six team that's going to play every week is is an absolute steal. As for kind of all the Tottenham players, I think seven for Lamela and Chadley is a little iffy. You're basically paying for the upside of assists with Lamela, paying for the upside of goals with Chadley, and you don't really want to pay for the best they can do. Um, Erickson at 8.5 I think is really interesting. I think he probably dropped 0.5 or maybe a whole point just because he struggled down the second half. Um, he's always going to take every free kick and corner for Spurs, which always has value in fantasy, knowing that you're you're getting those chances just throughout any match. So I'll, I'll probably go with uh, Christian Eriksen. I think with Kane, again, you're paying for, for uh, what you expect from him instead of kind of what he may most likely do. Uh, but yeah, those are, those are kind of the two that I'd most recommend, probably Nabil Bentaleb and Christian Eriksen. And now on to match previews, which we're very excited about because it means we can talk about actual real-life honest-to-God football. Ralph, we're going to start with Manchester United versus Tottenham. It's the first match of the season. What's your take on this match? I think it's going to be another, uh, you know, High scoring, sort of barn burner. Um, it's it's sort of what I come to expect from these two teams. Neither team is unbelievable defensively. You know, I would imagine we're going to see, you know, three to five goals in this game. Um, you know, close match. Um, my prediction would probably be, you know, three to United, hopefully. But uh, I could see it swinging the other way as well. Um, you know, in in terms of sort of matchups and that sort of thing. Um, you know, I guess it sort of depends who's starting for Spurs and in, in goal. Um, but we obviously have two two great goalies. They're going to our keepers. They're going to be featuring, um, you know, the sort of English striker off between uh, Rooney and Kane, and and sort of seeing who can start the season with a bang. Um, and then I think I think the big matchups are going to be uh, in central midfield. Sort of, you know, how how does Schneiderlin fit in with the team? Um, I know some folks are think it's going to be Schweinsteiger next to him. Wouldn't be shocked. They spent a lot of money on him to bring him in. I think it's going to be Carrick. I think you'll see Dupay and, uh, you know, Mata potentially in the wings. Probably Herrera behind, uh, you know, Rooney in that sort of 10 role. Um, I would expect him to line up in like a 4-2-3-1. All right. Well, uh, to start my Tottenham part, breaking news through, uh, Franco Baldini will officially be relieved of his duties come the end of this transfer window. Uh, we're not really sure what those duties are anymore. <laughs> he kept reducing his role throughout the season, but... Uh, that's definitely newsworthy and worth mentioning. My quick take. Bye. Okay, so <laughs> on to the match. Um, I think you've made some excellent points there, Ralph. Uh, central midfield does always tend to be kind of where it comes down b- between the two of us. And traditionally, we've had a stronger midfield. Maybe not a better midfield, but a physically stronger one. Um, I think Dembele is kind of crucial for us against you. You know, there were years there where United fans thought Dembele was better than he was because he, he he could kind of dispatch your, your midfield with ease. Um, but he's been pretty disappointing over the last year, and, and I would at this point probably be surprised if he actually even got the start. Um, Della Ali has had a great preseason, obviously stepping all the way up from League One. Whether or not he's fully ready, who knows? But we did see um, Mauricio Pochettino blood Ryan Mason in a North London derby. So it's been done before. Uh, bringing up a youth player for a really big fixture, and it is the start of the season and visiting Old Trafford. It is definitely that. Um, other than that, Lamela is coming off Copa America duty, hasn't looked very sharp. Uh, Andres Townsend still kind of struggling with a shoulder injury. I think there's a chance we could see Erickson on the right, Dembele as an attacking midfielder, and Chadley on the left, but uh, other than that, I think we'd most likely see what we did last year. I think Trippier has really earned the start. Uh, man of the match against AC Milan in the Audi Cup on Wednesday. They, he, he offers a lot more than Kyle Walker does. He actually has defensive positioning with Kyle Walker, makes up for it with pace, but doesn't naturally have. And, and his crossing ability is just insane. You, you, you put that ball on Kane's head, and it's going to go in a significant amount of time. So uh, I'm hoping Trippier gets the start there. And I'm expecting we're going to see Alderweireld and and uh, Jan Vertonghen as our center-back pairing for most of the Premier League matches. Now, the really interesting one, who's going to play at keeper? Hugo Lloris made about a 30-minute appearance. In that same AC, AC Milan match that I just mentioned, Michelle Vorm obviously ready to fill in in case he's not ready. So, uh, all interesting points. Who will play? Who really knows? Um, but I think it'll be an interesting match for sure. I am somehow less optimistic about Tottenham's chances than Ralph is. I'm going to say 3-1 United. Okay, Dan, 
you have a, a match against West Ham, who were just beaten today, probably not in the best of spirits. Are you thinking you'll be able to take advantage of that? Uh, I'm thinking we'll beat them. Uh, as they did play today, but they played their second eleven plus like two or three players who wouldn't who couldn't play. Like um, they did play their superstar Carl Jenkins in it right back, but that's because he can't play against us because he's on loan from us. But so they'll have a full strength eleven that's full rested, but. We're at home. We always beat West Ham. It's a new manager, but we have ever since they've come back from the championship, we've beat them every single time. And it was funny up until before last season, the last four games against West Ham, we conceded the first goal and then scored at least three three after that. Last season, it was more straightforward. Beat them two one. Beat them three nil. But um, we always beat West Ham. I'm pretty confident going in. Not don't want to be like you know, we'll absolutely win because there's always the chance we'll arsenal it up like we did Villa two years ago. But I'm very confident going in, going into this. We've got, you know, a superior squad. We're at home. They're, like you said, probably not in the best of spirits. I'm not that concerned. And as far as what will be intriguing in the game, I did say I'm as my fantasy player, but there's not a, you're not 100% sure Giroud will start. Because um, Theo Walcott started the last two games at striker. I'm thinking because of his physicality against West, the center backs of West Ham and his record against West Ham, Drew will start, but that's always an interesting position. Mm. Um, right back, even though Bayern played, Debussy could still overtake him. And the most interesting thing in the Arsenal team, this will be a subplot for until everyone gets hurt, which will happen. Who plays in midfield? Because Ozil's spot is secured. Once he comes back, Alexis' spot will be secured. Then how do you fit the other three in? Coughlin's spot secured as well. It's more it's a three a three of Santi Cazorla, Aaron Ramsey, and Alex Oxlade Chamberlain. Who will play? Two of those people can play, one has to miss out. It's gonna be a storyline throughout. I'm thinking it's gonna be um since Alexis isn't there, I'm thinking all three of them will play, but it depends whether Ramsey will play in central midfield or Cazorla will play in central midfield. That's another subplot for the entire season, as well as this game. Next up, we have Jay talking about Crystal Palace's trip to Carrow Road. Yeah, it's great to finally be at a point where we're looking forward to the season starting. It's uh, it's not been as much of a, a break um, as normal, but it's, it still feels like a, a long time since we last uh, last played. But yeah, it's, this is a, this is a tricky one. Last season, we had a fantastic away uh, away record. Um, and I'm hoping that's going to continue this year because you know our our home form was poor. We we dropped some awful points at home, um, but we've got so hurrah! We've got a new pitch, and hopefully that's going to help us at home. But um, a trip away to Norwich. I mean, Norwich are going to be um, really up for this game. Just being promoted back to the Premier League on a big high from being promoted through the playoffs very similar to what we did a couple of years ago so you know it's not going to be an easy game for sure I, I've actually put this down as a draw um, I think we go to Norwich it's, it, you know it's potentially a, a banana skin first game of season is always a freak results so I think go to Norwich get a draw and we can uh, we can push on from there I'll be happy with that okay thanks so much for joining us guys but unfortunately we are out of time so if you have any projects you'd like to plug or if you want to tell people where to reach you now would be a good time yeah, thanks for listening. I'm Jay. I'm the founder and editor of TheEaglesBeat.com. We've been really busy, actually, the, the, the last week with some great articles going along. We had some particularly interesting articles last weekend, one about the youth system, which was quite contentious, and also one about our loyalty points system, which has got fans in a, uh, in, in, you know, in a bit of a muddle over. So it's worth going back to check those. But all week we've had some great articles, which are very, very worth reading on there. So head on over and have a look. We're very active on social media. We've got a Facebook page, but we're most active on Twitter. So come and have a chat with us uh, at the Eagles Beat. You can find us there. And uh, I'll catch you soon. Thanks for having me on. I'm still Dan. I'm still an Arsenal fan. And you can still catch me on Twitter at the underscore jersey underscore fits and see my writing at eplindex.com. So, uh, yeah, Ralph, Ralph Lifshitz, uh, rasball.com. Um, you know, we have a few more uh, posts coming up. We just had our, our rankings for the full term. Uh, just post the last couple of days. We did a, a keeper defender post listed um, top 11 keepers, top um, 40 defenders, top 40 midfielders, and then paired that with the top 30 forwards, all um, fantasy focused, which is what our site is. Um, did have a couple of pieces up there as well on the Sterling move. We're going to be doing one on the Benteke.
Japan the next coming days. Uh, all throughout the season, we rank um, each position each week um, based on matchups. Talk a little bit about uh, what the matchups are. So there'll always be, you know, keepers um, Tuesday, Wednesday, defenders, Thursday, um, uh, midfielders, and Friday forwards. We also, uh, Rob uh, or Smokey and myself, also do uh, uh, a, a sit-start every week. So if you're looking for sort of fantasy advice specific uh, to the PremierLeague.com site, we, we should have you covered. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on, guys. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. As always, you can find me on Twitter, at Kevroth. I have tons of stuff coming out this week uh, through blog.playtaga.com. I have three previews uh, for teams, both for kind of season outlook and this specific match week. Uh, those are Tottenham, Crystal Palace, and Sunderland. So if you're interested in those clubs, feel free to look at those and tell me how wrong I was. Uh, also, I have kind of a uh, kind of a buy and sell, if you will, uh, coming up on the eaglesbeak.com should be up tomorrow or Saturday at each price point. So if you want to move players around, it's a really easy way to see uh, it's players that I would recommend bringing in and taking out. And you don't have to worry about moving your budget around because, like I said, it is organized by price point. Uh, looks like I will be doing a fantasy appearance tonight with um, Fantasy Gaffer, uh, who, who also is over there at Play Taga. Not really sure the site of that, but we'll tweet that out later as well. As always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, we're at EPL Roundtable, and you can always email us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Thanks so much for joining us, guys. It's been a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.